exciting uh, in my mind that you recently had a vote and you said, we're going to stay here. Because when you hear God and he says to stay here, what it means is he's got something for you. And it's, we call it spiritual dream. He's got a dream for us. And uh, in the coming weeks and months, I'm sure that you'll be uh, praying and seeking God as a, as a fellowship on exactly all that God wants you to do. But there is one thing we find in Scripture that is taught over and over that is a must. I don't know what your spiritual dream is going to be, but I do know that uh, you have to have commitment. Uh, I'll word it this way. Commitment is the fuel. It's the gasoline that turns spiritual dreams into eternal reality, into eternal impact. In other words, I can have all kind of dreams. You know, I can say, hey, I, I dream of losing weight. Well, you can dream it all your life and not lose weight. I, I dream of, of, of getting a college degree. Well, you can dream all you want to, but until you enroll and actually have the commitment to take the classes, uh, you won't get the degree. Uh, c- commitment is a huge thing, and I love the way God does it. God doesn't say, uh, I'll bless you uh, on your financial ability, well, that may leave me out. I'll bless you on your IQ, that may leave me out. Uh, I'll bless you on uh, your good looks, that might leave me out. But what he says is, is that when I give you a dream, uh, if you're committed. He, he words it different ways. For example, uh, Jesus said, if you're faithful in a little, I'll make you master over much. What's being faithful is showing commitment. And let me tell you something I believe about God, and you probably believe this too. If God tells me something one time, then I believe it. I'll give you an example. If God just says one time, if Jesus says, love your neighbor, that's all I need to hear. Now, he does it more than once. He gives parables and illustrations. But if he just says one time, love your neighbor as you love yourself, I want to love my neighbor as I love myself. But having said that, when God takes a biblical principle and all through Scripture, he keeps bringing it back up, all through Scripture, that really catches my attention. And commitment is seen all through Scripture. Uh, I'm going to let Abraham be our tour guide today. He's going to take us on a little trip of what commitment is. I'm going to tell you something as a speaker. I could have used any hero of the Bible, any hero of the Bible that made a difference in the kingdom, whether it's Moses or David or Esther. Christmas is going to be here before you know it. I could have used Mary, the mother of Jesus. Anyone in Scripture who made a huge difference in the kingdom of God, you will see commitment woven all through that, commi- that, that uh, story. And so let's look at Abraham today and uh, his life of commitment. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, again, you can have a dream, but you're going to have to have commitment. And, and sometimes, again, I'm positive. I think that's positive. I think, wow, if I'm just committed, God can use me. Well, I can be committed. Again, if God said, I'm going to use you if you have a million dollars, then I'm like, Lord, I don't have a million dollars. I'm going to use you if you can score so high on your IQ test. Well, Lord, I might not be able to do that. But when the Lord says, no, you need to have one thing that any human can have. If you will take the dream and be committed. Now, to me, I'm optimistic. I'm like, wow. Other people say, oh, I knew there's a catch. You mean I'm going to have to pray and read the Bible and seek God? Yeah. But anyone can do it. And so let's look at commitment today from the life of Abraham. Uh, Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you, and God is talking about Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do do not exist as though 
they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed. So that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, and he gave glory to God. I, I, just pause, and we'll talk about this, but understand what he's saying. He was 75 years old in Genesis, and God said, you're going to have a child with Sarah. When Sarah heard the news, you'll remember, she laughed. It wasn't a good laugh. It was like, yeah, sarcastic, yeah. And now Abraham's 100. He looks at his body. He looks at Sarah's body, and he says, I give glory to God. Why? He believed. It's like a person saying, we don't have many people here. But I've been on my knees praying. I got a dream from God. Glory to God. The building's going to be full. Now, most of us are not on this level. It's one reason I'm preaching on this this morning. But understand what Abraham is doing. He's 100 years old saying, my body's as good as dead when it comes to having a son. And my wife is way beyond childbearing age. And yet he says, glory to God. He believed the promises of God. And being fully convinced, verse 21, that what he had promised, and that he is God, God was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, Commitment is all through uh, Scripture. In fact, Christianity is really an all-in covenant of commitment. That's what it is. Someone's law saying, Uh, Can I I get saved and not really love Jesus? No. Uh, Could I I get saved and not have any faith in Jesus? No, that's what salvation is. Could could I get saved and uh, not really ask Christ to be my Savior? We we don't find that in Scripture. Uh, Christianity is an all-in covenant relationship of commitment. Uh, Listen to this verse. Don't turn here, but listen to this parable Jesus told. Matthew 13, Jesus says this, and it's it's a great a parable about commitment. It's just one verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in the ground. And when a man finds it with joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. And then the follow-up parable is the same thing, really. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking pearls. When he has found one pearl of great price, He goes, he sells everything he has to buy that pearl. Now, let me tell you what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus isn't saying that uh, you have to buy your salvation. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that uh, for us to experience his blessing as Christians, we have to pay for it, but buy. What he's saying is this. He's saying, for example, uh, the, the lost person looks at salvation and he sees it. Or she sees it. And she says, I'd give anything I've got with joy to have what Jesus wants me to have. What do I need to do? And, of course, we would talk about faith and repentance. Or, to apply it to us, 
it'd be like me praying and praying and praying. Saying, I've got a vi- I want to see, I want to see Briarcliff. I just, I want to see this church vibrant. And God begins to tell you what you need to do. And you say, with joy, I've got commitment. Uh, there's an illustration I sometimes use when I teach this lesson. And it's interesting uh, for a Baptist preacher to use it. It deals with gambling. It deals with poker. I, in fact, I was in Las Vegas a couple, three weeks ago. Uh, I have a friend who pastors there and uh, did a conference for him. Uh, but I don't know anything about gambling. Don't but I am a big sports fan, and I don't have a lot of time to watch uh, games. Like I used to watch any game yesterday. But I do try to occasionally, either on my phone or if I'm at home, flip over to uh, turn television on the ESPN just to catch scores. That's what I did last night about 10, 30, 11, just to see who, who won. And uh, if you're an ESPN sports fan, uh, you'll notice that uh, four or five years ago, they began to show a lot of poker playing. I don't know anything about it. Uh, but I know enough about it as far as on TV to see this. Sometimes when they've got a really good hand, uh, the guy who's gambling or the lady who's gambling, they'll take all those chips and they'll say, I'm all in. I, it's interesting because that's the illustration I use uh, church knows nothing about it, but when they did the message, all they had was my message points. Uh, they put all in with the, with the chips and the poker. I thought that was strange that they would do that, which, which, which is really true. That's what happens in church. In other words, I come before God. If Abraham said, uh, I want God to work, I'm not going to give this pocket. I'm not all in. I'll give you what I got in this pocket. Wrong. Not going to happen. Well, I, I want God to grow Briarcliff, but I'm going to go ahead and check out a few other churches. I'm going to hedge my bet. Wrong. You won't grow it. And in other words, it is an all-in commitment. Kirby Smart's coming to University of Georgia last year. And he says, well, I'm going I'm to be about 50% in, but I'm going to keep these options open. You're not going to win then because the commitment is too great. The obstacles are too huge. Abraham heard God, and Abraham believed God to such an extent that every time I read through Genesis, and I get to this story, and Sarah laughs, I always pause and think, Sarah, if you just knew what we know, you think you're too old now. The baby's not going to come a year from now. It's going to be 25 years and by the way, God has that sense of humor. So when the baby finally comes 25 years later, God says, name it Isaac, which means in Hebrew, laughter. In other words, you, you, you laugh. So you just, every time you call his name, every time it's time for uh, dinner, laughter, come on in, it's time. La- laughter, come here, it's time. And I want you to look at commitment today. Three different things. If you knew me as a preacher when I pastored, Maybe two or three times a year I'd make a statement I'm about to make to you. It's huge. It's, I don't make it too often. I don't know if these messages are recorded. If they are, you ought to get it. About two or three times a year in my church I would say that. In other words, th- this is so crucial. Because there's going to be times in this journey you're going on where there's going to be times you're going to say, man, I'm about, I'm about ready to go. There's going to be times where some who are here, not necessarily here this morning, but are part of your fellowship, you're going to hear, hey, they, they went down the street and you're not careful, you're going to have to go back to this. Do you really have the commitment? Do you really believe, in spite of all human odds, do you really believe that God can do what he says he can do? And by the way, that's going to be one of your 
next pastor is going to be one of his biggest challenges. And it sounds strange. To get you to believe that God can really do what he says he can do. That, 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 that's part of what I have to do every day and you have to do. One reason I have a devotion every morning, I have to get my mind. Paul, Paul said, set your mind on things above. I have to get my mind in agreement that God is really who he says he is. That God can really do what he says he can do. Uh, by the way, when we tell people to confess, you know what the biblical word for confession, what it means? To agree with God. In other words, sometimes God has to bring all kind of brokenness in my life till I finally say, okay, God, you're right. What you believe is true. And so let's look at commitment today. Three different things. First of all, commitment goes where it's got to go. I'm committed. Uh, for example, I want to be a pastor, a 20-year-old guy says. Then when he's 22, he's in a situation that's real unbearable. And someone says, hey, uh, I can get you a job at Delta. Well, I can get you a job at whatever company. And all of a sudden, he says, you know, I wouldn't mind doing that. And then I would have to say, well, what has God called you to do? Because commitment goes where it's got to go. God tells Abraham something that in our day doesn't seem too strange. He says, leave your country, leave your family. Abraham lived in a day where a lot of folks were born, and they may have lived 80 years and never traveled more than 10 or 15 miles from their house. And God shows up to Abraham and says, leave everything you know. And because you're like me, you're a church person. If you're asked, should he do it? Well, yeah. But now, just because I believe Abraham should obey God doesn't mean I'm going to tithe or I'm going to witness or I'm going to pray. Because that's, that's me having to do it. So we look at Abraham and say, he should have done this. And there's a strange verse in Hebrews chapter 11 about Abraham. I, I love the way it's worded. It says, Abraham went out not knowing. It's just a strange. He, he, he went out going but not knowing, my translation says. Isn't that strange? Uh, where are you going? Don't know. And let me tell you why it applies. You need to remember this. Some of you won't get this, and so down the road six months from now, a year from now, pastors, we need to take this step. So, uh, okay, before we take that step, what's the second step? I don't know. Because God doesn't always tell you the second and third step. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He, he went out going. Read the verse, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, he says... Uh, to Abraham, verse 8. Abraham went out going, not knowing. What it means is Abraham told Sarah, we're to go in that direction. Where are we going? And Abraham says, uh, you know, that's strange. Uh, God didn't tell me where we're we going. He just said head east. Okay. Uh, well, you're my husband. We'll do it. Uh, how, how are we going to live? I don't know. How are we going to have enough food? God didn't say those things. Here's a good question. How long the journey going to be? He didn't tell me. And here would be a question I would have. Abraham, which by the way, his name was Abram at the time. Abram, if we don't know exactly where we're going, how are we going to know that we got there once we get there? I don't know. I guess we'll just have to trust God. And I'll tell you something, that is one of the toughest things for a human to do. One of my favorite verses is in Proverbs. It's two verses. All of you know this verse. 
we often teach in the vacation Bible school, it's one of those simple verses we think. And it's a, one of the toughest verses in Scripture to, to live. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and God will direct your path. The word lean not on your own understanding is a Hebrew phrase that means take your common sense and throw it as far away as you can. Well, I kind of like my common sense. I kind of like to make my own decision. And yet the reality is it makes no sense for a 75-year-old man to say, Sarah, you're past childbearing age, but God says through the child you and I are going to have, there will be a mighty nation which nobody can number. In fact, Abraham says this, God told me to look up and said, could you count the stars? Lord, I can't count the stars. No man can count the stars. God said it would be easier to count the stars than to count the descendants that will come from me and you. Let me just say this. Let faith take you as a church where logic, logic cannot go. Because can, can I tell you this? Anybody with common sense can tell you 50 reasons why you're not going to survive. Anybody can tell you there's 50 reasons you'll never fill this building up. But I'd rather hit my knee and say, well, Lord, that's what a man says. Uh, Lord, that's what a woman says. What do you say? And so Abraham reached a decision where he basically said, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, David Platt, who's our International Mission Board president of the Somebody's Convention, he likes to use a phrase. He uses it all the time. I've heard other people use it for him, but he uses it all the time, so let me give him credit for it. He says when it comes to, he says missions, but I'm going to say when it comes to commitment, when it comes to doing God's will, he says you do something with God that you don't do with anybody else. He says with God, you take the check and you go ahead and sign your name and you, you give the check to God. You say, okay, God, here, here's my check. I'm all in. There's my signature. Go ahead, Lord, and fill in the blank. And what he's saying is, when it comes to God, you approach God and say, God, I'm at a stage where I don't care. Whatever your desire is, you do that. Wherever you want me, you fill that in. And as soon as you give me clarity, this is where I'm to go. I may not know the next step, but all I need to know is this step here. Give me the next step, and I will be obedient to take that step. I will do what you want me to do. Uh, now, think about, if, say you have a mortgage. Just say you have a mortgage. Now, you would never say, you know, I, I trust that bank. I'm just going to sign my signature and put in there, just fill in whatever amount you think you want this month. You'd never do that. But Dr. Platt's right. When it comes to God, I have to throw common sense out the window. I have to go before God and realize, God, I think I've got part of this figured out. I don't tell you what to do. You tell me what to do. I don't tell you my plans for Briarcliff. You tell me your plans for Briarcliff. I don't tell you this is, this is non-negotiable, God. I have to have this. I go before you and I ask you, Lord, what are your non-negotiable? So are you committed? And if you're committed, are you willing to go where you got to go? Second thing is this. Commitment in the life of Abraham was not only the fact that he was willing to go where he had to go. Uh, commitment does what you got to do. 
Commitment does what you got to do. Let me tell you about commitment uh, and spiritual dreams. If you have an ounce of spirituality, we love spiritual dreams. I love spiritual. I, I love to think about God growing a Sunday school class. I love, the, hey, the, the, does this excite you? To think about maybe 40 or 50 people being in a choir, is that exciting? But you know what it takes? It takes commitment. It, it, it takes somebody, somebody's working, somebody, somebody has some kind of commitment. I love being on this side and thinking about commitment. I, you know, I, I, I love thinking about whatever that is. But when it comes to paying the price, that's a different story. But commitment does what it's got to do. I'll give you a biblical illustration. Of course, it's all over the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham, why, why, why are you going on a 25-year journey? God told me to. Uh, you would think this. He's committed enough to do it. You think maybe six months into it, I ain't going no further. Been doing this six months, and I'm thinking, uh, six months? You got 24 and a half more years because I've, I've got the hindsight he doesn't have. I've got scripture. You think five years into it, Sarah might say, Abraham, I, I, let's drink a cup of coffee and talk about this. I mean, I've been with you on this. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. About a year ago, I began to, man, wow, my soul. It's been five years. And I want to say, hang on. You got 20 more years years to go but boy he traveled everywhere one part of scripture i think hebrews 11 says he lived in tents why because there's no reason to build anything he was he's going to just stay here for a few days or a month or two six months and pick up and leave as soon as as god told him he's going to have to leave now guess what god did to him because god does what he wants to do god never looks at me and says Tell me what you want me to do today for your convenience and for your popularity and for your success. Well, that's not, that's not what Scripture does. God's about His agenda. God's about His kingdom. God's about His glory. And share His glory with anybody. And so God looks at him and says, your name is Father, Abram. Let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to put the H-A-M in the English on there. Abraham, that means you're not just a father. You're a father of many nations. Romans 4, that's why Abraham embraced the promises of God. Abraham get up in the morning and he'd shave and he'd say, man, I got a lot of kids. Where are they? Oh, you, you, you can't see them yet. You often hold the dream of God in your heart before you have it in your hand. It's called faith. In other words, even though you don't have it, you have it. You ever prayed for something? And in your prayer time, you begin to rejoice and thank God for it, when in reality, you didn't have it. But you just, you ever, we call it praying through. You ever prayed through something where you just, you just, you just knew? By the way, one famous preacher says, you really never have prayed if you never had a prayer where you thank God for getting it before you actually got it. So Abraham goes, and I'm using our language, but goes to this town and looks at Sarah and says, well, you know, we just arrived here. I don't know how long we're going to stay, but, well, my hair is looking bad. I'm going to go down to the barbershop. He goes to the barbershop. His time to get his hair cut. What's your name? My name is Father of Many. Oh, how many kids you got? None. 
Now, what did you say your name was? The father of many. All those guys, those old guys in that barbershop probably look at him like, who's this nut? And he leaves, and as he leaves, they're probably laughing at him. By the way, it's going to happen to you. How's Brockleff doing? And I'll tell you, I've never been as excited. Huh? Man, I just think the the best days are ahead. And and when I say this, and this is good, you can't say amen right now, can you? Most of us, why? Because you're not, you're looking, just like, just like the guys looked at Abraham in the barbershop. What's your name? My name's father of many. And you ain't got no kids? Not a one. Why don't you change your name? Because God gave it to me. And I know I'm going to have as many children as the stars are in the sky. Don't you know he said that all the time? Don't you know uh, daily he would say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for those children. And that's what part of this verse is saying. He embraced. The message Bible said, I love this paraphrase of it. Abraham did not tiptoe. If, if, if this is the promise of God, message Bible says he didn't tiptoe around the promise of God. See, some of you, you can Briarcliff grow? And if I look at you, you know why? You, you, you tiptoe around the promise of God. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it can grow or not. And if I stood up and said, Billy Graham has a new vision of doing something. If I said this, shoot, man's 98 years old. He's too old for a new vision. What would you say? No, he's not. If I said, you think Billy Graham can accomplish something as a 98-year-old man, you know what you'd say? Sure he can. You know why? Because that, that's Charlotte, North Carolina. That's, that's Billy Graham. Can this church be full of people? And most of us, we're afraid to make commitment. Why? We, we tiptoe around the promise of God. But Abraham didn't tiptoe. You know what he did? If this was a promise of God, he embraced it. He walked in that barbershop. What's your name? Boy, I'm glad you asked. My name is a father of many. How many kids you got? You ain't got none. But that don't matter. And when he would leave, he'd probably go home and say, Sir, it's amazing how many people don't trust God. What, what do you mean, Abe? Every time I go to the barbershop, every time I go to the grocery store, nobody knows because we're traveling. Always ask my name. They can't see the concept. And you know what? Here's what's amazing. There is no major religion in the world that does not acknowledge Abraham as a great person of God. Isn't it amazing? In other words, he heard God. My translation said this. He hoped against hope. You know what that means? It means when you look around, there was no human hope. There's God hope. Let me tell you something he did that I like. He didn't live in a fantasy world. When I read those verses, you know what it says? Abraham looked at his body and said, Man, I'm old. Abraham looked at his wife and said, she's younger than me, but to bear a child, any doctor will tell you she ain't going to have no child. But he said, in spite of what I see, if you're in business, we call it institutional reality. Institutional reality means we used to be doing this, we're not doing it anymore. We used to have this many people, we don't have it anymore. I, I used to be a 40-year-old man, Abraham says, a very healthy I'm 100 years old now, and I'm not as healthy as I used to be. But he says, but you know what? In spite of it, I love the phrase, I'm hoping against hope. And by the way, whoever you call his pastor, he better not say one thing up here and drink coffee with guys like me and say, how's it going? Shoo, ain't no hope there. You're doomed. Uh, Abraham believed God. Let me give you a biblical example. 
Spiritual dream takes commitment. Commitment does what it's got to do. So David had a spiritual dream. You ever read 1 Samuel 17? That's the famous story of David and Goliath. If I asked you what was David's dream, if you don't think this through, you might say something that would seem true, but it's not. Well, his dream was to kill Goliath. No, it wasn't. He's not, he care less about Goliath one way or another. He didn't even give Goliath thought till he went down to give his brother some food for the battle. But then he saw Goliath. If you read all the Psalms, we think David wrote maybe 77, 78 Psalms. We're not quite sure, but we think that. If you read all his Psalms, what you see is a person from a teenager to the time he dies as a senior adult who had a passion for God. And so I'm, I'm going to give a little mission statement that could have been true for David. If you read the Psalms, it seems to be true. It seems like the priority of David's life was to see the glory of God rest on the nation of Israel because Israel in the Old Testament is God's people. He wanted to see this. In other words, what's your dream, David? See the glory of God rest on Israel. I want to see God, God get all kind of exaltation. I want to see God be glorified. To such an extent, as a senior adult, he wants to build a temple. He prays, and God says, you're not going to build the temple. And the reason is, David, because through your ministry, uh, you've lived in a time of war, and you've had to be a man of war. That's not wrong. But I don't want my temple to be named after a man of war. I'm going to let your son Solomon experience some time of peace. We're going to call it Solomon's temple. You know what David does? He does something a lot of us wouldn't do. A lot of us would say, well, if I can't build it, I ain't going to do, I'll just go join another church in. Well, if it's not going to have my name on it, I won't, I won't do You know what David says? David says, Lord, let me ask you a question. He prays. It's a great prayer in First Chronicles. Lord, if I can't actually build it, could I raise the money to build it? God says, yeah, go ahead. And, and we believe, we believe as we look at what money would be today, he raised a few billion with a B dollars. And if you read that prayer, you know what he says after the money comes in? He says this, wow, Lord, who am I that you would let me be a small, small part of raising money for your temple, for your glory? And so he wants to see the glory of God rest on Israel. And here's the commitment. Do you really want to see the glory of God? Sure do. Well, guess what, David? There's a giant, the largest man on the face of the earth. A warrior, he's mocking God. He's robbing Israel of God's glory. What you going to do? Some of us, well, you know, I want to see the glory of God on Israel, but God gave me a mind. He, he gave me the sense not to go out and do something too dangerous. You know what David says? I'm going to quote him. It sounds a little vulgar. David says, who is this dog that would mock the God of Israel. So he goes out and does what God wants to do. Here's, here's the two dangers to spiritual dream. One is the danger of difficulty. Now, I'm optimistic. I'm going to be honest with you. You want to see a choir one day? It's going to be hard, but it can be done. Uh, you, you want to see, by the way, last church I passed, we went from about 45 in the choir to a good Sunday. It was about 220 in the choir. So how do you do it? Well, I didn't really do it. But our ministry of music, who we got in, can I tell you, that man worked. And you know why? It's easy. Anybody would do it. Because commitment is the gasoline. Commitment is the fuel. 
a commitment turns the dream of a full choir into reality, but it takes commitment. And commitment goes where it's got to go, but it does what it's got to do. So there's the danger of difficulty. For example, if I told you something unusual has been invented, there's a button on my Bible. If you press it, you'll, you'll be the exact weight you're supposed to be. Uh, we'd have a line up here at the altar today, wouldn't we? I'd, I'll press a button. Sure would. But if I said, no, God worked it differently, you got to exercise. Oh, I knew there's a catch to it. You got to say no to some of those donuts you're offering. Ah, now you start stop preaching, start meddling, preach. You don't mean I have to do all that, do you? And, and sometimes in church work, we, we have this dream. Well, God can do anything he wants to do. He can. But when you read Scripture, he does what he wants to do. And one thing he wants to do is he finds Abrahams and he finds Davids and he finds Esthers. He finds people who understand the quote Esther, or actually what Mordecai told Esther. Esther, you, you, you better get committed. And here's the famous words. Because you probably have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And if you ever read that story, you remember what Esther says? It's almost a definition of commitment. She says, Mordecai, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And then she says this. And she, she knew it was dangerous. It was dangerous to do what she was supposed to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And if I perish, I perish. What she's saying is this. I'm going to do it. And if it costs me my life. And that's what commitment is. Abraham is saying, you know why I've roamed around for 25 years with no house? You know why I've obeyed God? Because I'd rather die than not fulfill what God told me in that dream. I mean, I, I, I can see it. Uh, Hebrews later says it's not just about Abraham, but all these guys, Moses, that some of these men didn't get to see everything, King James puts it, but they walked up to the promise and shook hands with it. You know what that means? It means that they were certain. Just like when Joseph was dying, the last chapter of Genesis, you know what he says? Gathers his family. He says, we're in Egypt, but it's not God's will. God's will is ultimately for us to have our own land. God's will, ultimately, we're going to be delivered. And he says, make me a promise that when deliverance comes, I'm going to be dead. I'm, I'm on my deathbed. He says, dig, dig up the bones. Get my bones and take them with you. 400 years later, Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Finally, Pharaoh does. Have you ever read that story carefully on what it says? As they were leaving, Moses tells someone, don't forget the bones of Joseph. Uh, there's a danger of difficulty, and it leads, to this, it leads to the danger of discouragement. Now, now here's the key. Uh, we don't think of this too often, but it's true. If I met with you tomorrow, and I said, pray, pray, man, I'm a little bit discouraged. If you're not really spiritually discerning, you know what you'd say? Oh, I'd be glad to do it. I hope you get encouraged. Discouragement's a sin. Do you know that? It is a sin. You say, discourage? I do, because I'm a sinner. But, it, it, but I understand it's not God's will. Discourage means this. It means to deprive of courage or confidence. So if I tell you, pray for me in my ministry, I'm just kind of discouraged. What I'm saying is, I would never say it this way because we don't like to be honest. What I'd be saying is, I just don't really know if I believe God. I, in my mind, I know his word is true. I just don't really know if God's going to do what he told me he would do discouragement is when I don't really have confidence or courage spiritually in God. And so the danger of discouragement leads to the 
the danger of, of difficulties leads to the danger of discouragement. Let me just quote a verse. It's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Apostle Paul tells us something about Scripture that you ought to know. You know what he says? He says, all these things have been written. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament, but it's true of all, all the Bible. He says, all these things have been written. You know why? Now, I, th- this means a lot to me because I read Scripture every day. So why was it written? He says, it's been written so that ultimately through the patience and comfort of God in Scripture, you might have hope. Well, how would I have hope? Because I will never face a situation that I can't go back to Scripture and find a promise of God to stand on. Because sometimes I feel like, in, in my own small way, I feel like there's a Goliath over there for me. And I get discouraged. But then I remember, wait a second, God's got a pretty good track record of removing giants. Sometimes I feel like I'm obeying God, and uh, you stand, maybe you feel like you're obeying God. And what's happened? We're not going to merge. So you're obeying God, and you stand here, and you look around the day, and you're like, uh, there's less people today than there was when we voted to merge. And I've been there before where you stand here, and you're like, God's got a pretty good record of parting Red Seas. Does he not? Now, some of you look at me disbelief, and I knew this guy. I told my wife, I said, they, they won't believe all this. And there's this, 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 this disbelief. But we're to stand strong and believe God. And what we do with Scripture is, how do we have hope? I immerse myself in God's stories. Or if I was a pastor here, I'd be, I'd be in my private chamber praying. I'd be saying, God, it's empty. Lord, we need help. And by the way, that's a pretty good place to be, isn't it? In other words, I'm in a situ- if I told you I'm in a situation where I really need God to show up, well, amen. By the way, there can be no miracle unless there's a need of a miracle. Uh, there's never a message without those first four letters, mess. That, that, that's where messages come. Give me your testimony or break it down. There is no testimony without the first four letters, T-E-S-T. The testing gives us a testimony. And why is that important? Well, it's important because as people come in to visit, you know what they want to see? They want to see somebody saying, God is good. God is awesome. Here's what he's going to do. As opposed to coming in and looking around and seeing people. Because if that's what they see, what do they do? Let's go check out First Atlanta next week. Let's go check out Passion City next week. Let's go check out, there's, there's a small new church start. But man, they're, they're starting to grow some. There's some excitement over there. Why? Because there's an atmosphere of commitment. And so I immerse myself in these God stories, and, and, and I begin to stand and believe. This is where the hope comes in that Paul talks about. I begin to believe like Abraham. You know what? The God who loves Abraham, it's a fundamental teaching in Scripture, is the same God who loves me. I hope I never outgrow this. I'm getting older, so I'm probably at the stage where I won't outgrow it. So I go to my basement early this morning where my office is. Still have my pajamas on, all that drinking coffee. I go there specifically to open up Scripture for me, not, not for you, but for me. And ever so often, the thought occurs to me, I think, Lord, this, this is unbelievable. The God who flung the stars in space, the God, and Romans 4 says this, by the way, he speaks 
And he creates out of nothing. That's why Abraham believed God. Because Abraham believed the creation story. Abraham says, if God can create the world, then God can give me and Sarah a son. And I think in my basement, this is unbelievable. You mean to tell me the God who did all this will meet me in a basement office in Lilburn, Georgia? Sure he will. Absolutely he will. And if I did not believe that, why would I get up early tomorrow with ex- expectation and excitement God can do everything he says he can do? And the last thing is this. Commitment goes where you got to go. Commitment does what you got to do. And commitment pays what you got to pay. I reread this this week. It's a famous story, but I just want to reread it. In Genesis 22, Isaac's been born. He may be about 12 years old or so. And as you can imagine, Abraham loves Isaac because every time he sees Isaac, he's like, wow, God, wow. Lord, you did it. And one day God says to Abraham, and we know the story so we don't get too upset because we understand you're not going to have to kill Isaac. We know the story. But Abraham didn't. Uh, Abraham, uh, take your son, your only son, and go up and sacrifice him. And so the next day, see, I'd be tempted, no more, not to obey God. Second, I'd be tempted, if I'm going to obey God, I'm going to put it off as long as I can. Not, not Abraham. God tells him that, and the next verse says, so early the next morning. In other words, God, Abraham gets up and says, no better time to obey God than the present. And if you read all the verses in Romans 4 and also in Genesis some theologians think that Abraham actually thought he's probably going to have to kill Isaac. But because of God's promise, God was going to raise Isaac up. He, we don't really know what he thought. He just knew that somehow God was going to fulfill the promise. And really what God was saying is this. Do you worship the dream or do you worship me? Because some people worship a full building more than we worship God. You ever hear somebody say, well, if we don't reach people, we can't pay the bills. Shoot, if I'm lost and that's your selling job to me, hope you join a church because we really need some help paying the electric bill. Really? That's why you want me in there. Now, you seek God. You, you pursue God. And what happens is, is you pursue God. You know what happens? When you pursue God, everything else is added to you anyway. But the pursuit is the pursuit of God. So you pay what you got to pay. Why is this important? Because if we're going to do what God wants us to do, and this is true of any situation, any personal commitment, corporate commitment, church-wide commitment, then there has to be the spiritual dream, but there has to be that person who says, I'm going to go where he wants me to go. There has to be that person who says, I'm going to do what he has me to do. That's that person who says, I'm going to pay what he wants me to pay. Now, now listen to this, and we'll end with this. In Romans 4, it says, he did not waver. I've been in this for 35 years. I've seen a lot of deacons, a lot of pastors, a lot of choir people, a lot, a lot of people, Sunday school teachers, waver. Any of you don't raise your hand. Any of you ever see the show, and it's on rerun, so you don't have to be my age, just know it, but ever see the show Sanford and Son? Anybody remember that show? Uh, if you didn't, it's okay, but that show had a guy at Red Fox. It had a comedian, and uh, his wife had died. You never see his wife. His wife died before the, you know, before the start of the show, and uh, her name's Elizabeth. And Red Fox, 
Fred Sanford, always had these big old dreams. Always, they never came to pass, but he always had these big old dreams. And every time there was an obstacle, if you watch the show, you remember this. Anytime something kind of got in the way of his dream, he, he realized, it's not, I'm not going to make that money. This, is, this deal fell through. Remember what he would do? Elizabeth, I'm coming. And every time I read Romans 4, I did it this week. When I read that verse, he did not waver. I think about Fred Sanford. When Abraham got 100 years old, he didn't say, it ain't going to happen. But 30 years in doing church, hey, we're going to do such and such. Finance team, whoo, well, we ain't got the money. You've seen the checkbook. You're wavering. We don't trust in a checkbook, we trust in God. I have a friend, by the way, I was talking to a few weeks ago. He's on staff of a large church. They took him about $11 million last year. Now, you don't know where I'm going, so don't hold my ass right now. God always does this. I said, well, that's something. But I said, I know, the, I know there's other parts of the story. He said, you're right. I said, I said, I know what God does. He always does this. He said, yeah. Now, we're, we're, we're friends. We knew what we were talking, but let me tell you what we're saying. He finally said it. He said, yeah, 11 million sounds good. But the problem is, we need about 12 million a year. I passed church, had about $5 million budget. And somebody said, well, I wish I had. Can I tell you, though? God always does this. God never lets you get to a place where you say, Wow, I don't have to trust him today. I've got plenty of, you're all, I don't care who you are. The Billy Graham minister, I've got buddies that work there. Can I tell you, there are days they get on their knees and say, God, there's some television bills coming. You know why? Because God loves us so much. And, and, and Abraham never reached the stage. No matter what, if Abraham was a member here with, with his faith, we're, we're going we're to do this, we're going to do that. Abraham never said, whoa, how are we going? He never wavered at the promise of God, but he believed that God could do what only God can do. Commitment, don't ever forget this, commitment is the fuel that turns spiritual dreams into a reality. It turns spiritual dreams into eternal impact. Are you committed? Here's what it takes. Will you go where he wants you to go? Will you do what he wants you to do? And will you pay what he wants you to pay? And I would say that's probably something you need to decide in the future before you ever call anybody else. Because if the answer is no, you almost are at a stage of saying, why even pursue this anymore? Are you committed to standing on the promises of God? To me, this is, this is optimistic. Because with the promise of God, that, that may be all I have. I mean, I, visibly, there's nothing else I see sometimes. But the reality is, the promises of God are more valuable than anything else I can have in life. Whenever head by every eyes closed, we're going to have a prayer time and a time of commitment.